This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. You're listening to Outlaws and Gunslingers, the only podcast covering all of America's infamous criminals. From the Wild West to the Mafia, all the way up to the ruthless street gangs of today. Brought to you exclusively by the Creative Control Network. Here are your hosts, the Mouthy Michiganders, Bang and Dang. Welcome back to Outlaws and Gunslingers with your host, Bang and Dang. And we are continuing on with the murdering and kidnapping and um, Ooh, violence of... Uh, a lot of violence. Yeah, a lot of violence and um, a lot of kids <laughs> so far. See, the, the, these are the cases that get the most information about them is like the kid kidnappings and murders. Right. <clears throat> There's hundreds of murders of random chicks usually right that Nobody are cares. that found on the highway and shit but there's like oh well she disappeared right. was found well, that was care. pretty much Nobody it cares enough to do a story right so where are we at it again with another kid this one being five years old who uh is a czech american girl victim of kidnapping and murder in the spring of 1911 that's right we go all the way back to 1911 we bounce back mm-hmm. her disappearance and subsequent search for her preoccupied illinois wisconsin and minnesota law enforcement for six weeks uh, Aliska Perobic, other known, otherwise known as Elsie, was born in Chicago in 1906. Her mother, Carolina Vojakova, Vojakova, was born November 26th, 1869 in Mikov in Eastern Bohemia, Austria, Hungary, sure. which is now the Czech Republic. I go with it. Elsie's father, Frank Perobic, was a laborer born on December 15th, 1867 in Podhorani, Uranova, wherever that is. I think it's in the Czech Republic. Any of you Czechs are listening and we're getting it wrong. Sorry. (laughs) Frank supposedly first came to the United States in 1882 at the age of 14 or 15. He returned to Podhorani area and married Carolina in her village in 1892, bringing her to America around 1895. Several close relatives also moved to Chicago with them. In the United States, Frank worked as a painter, while Carolina maintained the home, obviously. The couple left Catholicism and to become uh, freethinkers. Hey, freethinkers. Good for you guys. Therefore, their children were not baptized, nor were their births apparently registered in the city. Well, mm, yeah, they were just having them at home, and right. that was it. So, Elsie's exact birth date is unknown. Huh. She was their eighth or ninth child, according to the 1900-1910 census records. Having at least three older siblings who died prematurely. Jeez. Oh, jeez. What the hell was going on? 
At the time of the 1910 census, on April 21st, 1910, Elsie was said to be three years old. At the time of her death, she was estimated to be four years old, according to her, according to her gravestone, together suggesting a possible birth date between April 22nd, 1906, and April 8th, 1907. Um, you tell me they didn't put Czech Republicans, don't put their date of births on their... They probably don't even know. Gravestone? One day in April or something, maybe, right? Right. It's like, we don't keep track of that shit. Right. It's American holiday. <laughs> Pretty much. In census and newspaper accounts, particularly in the Chicago Daily News, Perobic is frequently spelled Perobic without the U and, uh, yeah, without the U. Right. Uh, Frank is sometimes referred to as Peter or John, and okay. Carolina is sometimes called Mary. What oh, the hell? Who are these people? Right. Elsie is also called Mary or Emily oh, in the Rockford, wow. Illinois newspaper. What in the world is happening? Wow. Okay, so three different names for everybody. You get a name. And you know, get a name. <laughs> they don't know the exact date of birthdays. They don't know their names. They don't know their names. They don't know how many kids they even had. Wow. Wow. Morning of April 8th, or so we think. <laughs> right. Who knows? <laughs> 1911. Elsie left her home at 2320 South Albany Avenue in Chicago, telling her mother she was going to visit Auntie. At four years old, you're just going to say at four? I guess 1911, but still, Chicago. Pretty big city, probably still. Right. She said she's going to uh, see Auntie, Carolina's sister, Julia Trompota, around the corner at 2325 South Troy Street, which we just looked on the map and it basically right in her backyard. Turn- oh, no. See? So why would she go oh, around? She went 22nd Street. When the hell would she go to 22nd Street? It's all the way down there. Wait. Oh, uh, you know what? Oh. oh. Where's 22nd Street? We don't have a 22nd Street. Maybe they, uh. I bet there was a road right in here. Probably was, yeah. Probably right here and then right here because it says she went left and then left again. Right. Right. Turning left on 22nd Street and left again on Troy, she encountered her nine-year-old cousin, Josie, and a number of other children who were listening to an organ grinder a short distance from Mrs. Trompota's gate. When the organ grinder moved to the 23rd Street corner, the children followed him, but subsequently left while Elsie remained behind. Okay, so they went all the way up to the 23rd Street. Street performer guy just running around with a little... Portable organ, pretty much. Well, all right, those are the days, huh? Okay, so irresponsible parents, irresponsible cousins. Oh, 1911. So. <sighs> yeah, but still. Several hours later, Elsie's, you figured this is where H.H. Holmes was roaming around, too. It's true. In this area. Um, well, earlier, years earlier, but all still. Right. Several hours later, Elsie's mother went to her sister's house to find Elsie had never arrived. As Elsie had many friends in the area. She's four years old. What the hell is this chick? Right. The women assumed she was visiting at another home. These are the worst parents ever. You ain't kidding. Perhaps to spend the night and return the next morning. Oh, my. Perhaps to spend the night and return the next morning. Just, meow, just do it. A little four-year-old running around doing what the hell you want. What the hell? At 9 p.m. that evening, Frank returned from work and went to the police at the Hinman Street Station to report her missing. Police I initially ag- pissed. Probably. You stupid bitch. What the hell do you mean you don't know? Police initially agreed that she was likely spending the night with her friends, but when she had not returned the following morning, Captain Joe Mahoney took personal charge of the search. These guys, this whole, all these people are dumb. Four years old. What the hell was going on in 1911? Romani people, otherwise known as gypsies, identified by the Rockford, Illinois press. I don't know if all of them are, but. (laughs) Were suspected after a neighborhood child, John Jaruski, told the detectives from the Maxwell Street Station, led by Inspector Stephen K. Healy, that he has seen a gypsy wagon on Kedzie Avenue, a block west of Troy Street, with two women holding a little girl. The Chicago American repeated the story with the added detail that the girl seemed to be trying to get away, of course, and was being restrained. Also, that the police had no reason to believe this was a black man. They had reason to believe. 
Right. That the, the, the police had a reason to believe that this was a black hand kidnapping. Black hand, isn't that the mafia? Well, uh, the mafia. All right. Earlier days of the mafia. So we got the mob involved in here? Yeah. What's going on here? There were several camps along the De Plaine River near Kedzie, and these were searched. Residents told investigators that one wagon had decamped and left on the morning of April 9th. The quote-unquote stolen-by-gypsies theory gained credence because Elsie's disappearance was almost identical to that of Lillian Wolf, who had been found with gypsies four years earlier. Oh, wow. Elsie's father, Frank, offered his life savings, which was 50 bucks. Wow. Which was about $1,165 today. Not a damn thing. As a reward. He said, I'll give you everything. Inspector Healer also ordered that drainage canals be dragged for the child's body on April 15th. Governor Charles S. Deenan asked the public to aid in the search. There's damn gypsies. Right. It was about at this time that Elsie's friend Emma Kubat, 14-year-old, told police she had last seen Elsie with the organ grinder. Wait a minute. I'm so confused. Is this girl 14 or is she 4? I don't understand. Emma's 14. I get it. But this is Elsie's friend, Emma? Right. A 4-year-old. I mean, <laughs> back then, dude, everybody was... I guess, but I mean, come on. This is just weird already. Detectives from Maxwell Street Station searched the Italian Quarter at West 14th and South Helstead Streets where it had been reported a child answering Elsie's description had been seen with an organ grinder. Hmm. A full-length photo of Elsie appeared on the front page of the April 12th Chicago American. This photo, enhanced by artists, reappeared many times in the paper. 17th of April. It was accompanied by photos of Frank, Carolina, Elsie's sister, Julia. Detective Joseph Camaros and Sheehan accompanied Frank Accompanied Frank in his search for the departed wagon, which was initially believed to be headed for Round Lake, Illinois, which was a village about 50 miles northwest of Chicago, where seven wagons were camped. Farmers in the area alerted were alerted to be on watch. When local residents started asking gypsies about Elsie and attempting to search the wagons, they broke camp again and moved on to Volo, Illinois, hmm. 43 miles away from Chicago. Volo residents reported a child matching Elsie's description and said she appeared to be stupefied or drugged and partly covered with a blanket. They also attempted to search the wagons, but the gypsies immediately broke camp and departed for McHenry, uh-huh. Illinois, about 60 miles northwest of Chicago. Northwest of Chicago. Northwest of Chicago. When the police caught up with them at McHenry, they discovered the little girl was a gypsy. Did not match Elsie's description whatsoever. Huh. Some people are just seeing kids right. like, oh, here she is. That's what they do, right? Meanwhile, police captain Mahoney, oh no, uh, assigned men to drag the drainage canals near Elsie's home on the 12th of April and again on the 15th of April. In several instances, a child was found in a camp who did resemble Elsie, just that Frankie was even momentarily certain it was his daughter. He said, that's my daughter. I'm like, no, this is our little... No, what are you doing? Our little Betty. <laughs> and it would take some time to convince him it was a mistake. As late as April 24th, when a little girl somewhat answering Elsie's description was found in a gypsy camp near 18th and South Halstead streets, Frank fell to his knees and prayed, please let this be my little girl. Imagine thinking it is like seven times and right. not being wrong. Well. Got to give up after a while, right? <laughs> it was. It is good. Get, let's go home. Fuck. All right. Let's say this. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. 
With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. The reason for her capture was attributed by police to the natural love of the wandering people for blue-eyed, yellow-haired children. Really? Elsie was, was like con- back then? I guess. Elsie was consistently described as small with light golden hair and blue eyes, wearing a red one-piece dress, lace shoes, shoes with laces rather than buttons, and uh, black stockings. The little girls describe as uh, having long, curly, golden hair, blue eyes, and pink, chubby cheeks with a prominent dipple in each. Oh, man. At the time she disappeared, so she wore a, a red hat and a red dress. It was a blonde hair uh, Darla. Right. Uh, black stockings and high-top black boots. Chicago Daily News, April 12, 1911. She was a very pretty child, and passing strangers often stopped to pass admiring comment upon her, which said the uh, Rockford Daily Gazette, April 21st of 1911. So, okay, uh... A beautiful little baby girl. All right. Okay. I mean, come on. Four years old. All children are beautiful right. at four years old. Well, I don't know. Right. <laughs> I <see> some, <laughs> Damn! <laughs> Damn! <laughs> April 17th, Captain uh, Mahoney received an anonymous phone tip that a child answering Elsie's description had been seen accompanying a man to Western Springs, Illinois. It was a hotel. Again, detectives dispatched to the hotel and found nothing. Wow. Now in Sycamore, Illinois, Police Chief Ogden accompanied Frank to investigate gypsy wagons at Cherry Valley, but found no child even remotely resembling Elsie. Meanwhile, Hinman Street Police fielded reporters' questions about a $500, nearly $13,000 in 2015, a $500 ransom that was received by Carolina. They denied official knowledge of this communication, but admitted "Mm, it could be true. Yeah, we know it could be. April 20th, neighbor saw Frank Jr., age 6, lugging a pick and shovel out into South Troy Street and start digging. Uh-oh. Upon inquiry, Frank had said there had been a lot of construction on the street today. Elsie disappeared, and he had heard his parents discussing the possibility that she had fallen into a hole. As she struggled to climb out, she might have been buried under fallen sand and gravel. Where was this hole? Workers still fixing the street said that it was possible, but they would have noticed immediately. Right. Meanwhile, people in the West End and a woman in Kings, Illinois, reported sightings of light-skinned girls traveling with gypsies. So, which is it? What's All going right, come on? Come on. Second week of Elsie's disappearance, Lillian Wolf, age 11, came forward to offer assistance. Wolf herself had been the subject of a similar manhunt four years earlier. She had been stolen by gypsies and held for six days, working as a beggar, until discovered walking around, walking behind a gypsy wagon by a farmer outside Moments, Illinois. She provided details of her experience of the culture's typical behavior and volunteered to lead a rescue party. One of the men who had kidnapped Lillian suggested asking Elijah George, who, he said, was king of the gypsy. 
Also, they're even getting uh, help from the guys that kidnapped right. Lillian, huh? Like, you may want to talk to Elijah, bud. Right. Elijah George was found in Argyle, Wisconsin, and was brought to Joliet, but failed to get the desired information and was, was released. At that point, Inspector Healy again ordered the drainage canal dragged, along with the search of all wells and other places where Elsie could have fallen. April 22nd, Governor Deneen uh, released a front-page statement to the Chicago American calling on every person to aid in the search. Also April 22nd, John Mutz, the town marshal for Trevor, Wisconsin, received a phone call regarding a blonde child in a nearby gypsy camp. Mutz, along with saloon keeper Carl Sedenick of Lyons, Illinois, met with the girl, and Sedenick said he was able to speak with her and check and verify that she was Elsie. And Miss Alice Gold of nearby McHenry also identified the child as Elsie and said the gypsies had attempted to steal other children in the area. By the 23rd of April, Lieutenant John Costello of the Hinman Street Station told reporters that every kidnapping clue had been exhausted. He was sure Elsie had been attacked and mistreated, was now dead, and her body hidden in the cellar of an empty house or deserted barn in God knows where. Right. He brought detectives to begin investigating empty buildings, barns, sheds, elevators catch basins and basements on or near South Albany Avenue. Several of the detectives brought spades, planning to dig in every plot of earth that appeared to have been recently disturbed. Inspector Healy joined in the search along with Detectives Perry and Egan. So what? what, what what's happened with this uh, right. this, this dude that spoke with the girl in check? Well, okay. They were just saying whatever. At the same time, Costello sent two officers to the outskirts of the city on a lead which he had received by telephone but refused to reveal to reporters. Hmm. Captain Stephen Wood of the Detective Bureau was having all gypsy wagons followed and wrote to every police official in the vicinity of Belvedere, Rockville, and Janesville, right. which is in Wisconsin, to be on the lookout. However, he too was now certain Elsie was either being held for ransom, had been in an accident, and was either dead or in some hospital, unable to speak, or had been slain by some degenerate from one of the shanties in the alley near her home. Oh, so there's shanties that they know about, and they're oh, still wow. just letting her roam around, huh? Oh, jeez. That's even worse. Right. Also, 20, the 23rd, a neighbor told police that she had last seen Elsie around 11 a.m. on the morning she disappeared, still with the organ grinder, and engaged in conversation with a man on the opposite side of the street, whom the neighbor did not know. I mean, you're going to tell me all these kids play with each other all day, every day. They're just going to leave her there and be like, oh, come on, let's go. Let's maybe, go play. Maybe they've done it a hundred times. Right. The following day, Chicago Daily News devoted a full column to the search calling it one of the most extensive and far-reaching quests ever made for a missing child, quote-unquote. Twenty police officers and 100 volunteers were involved in Lieutenant Costello's search, covering a radius about a mile from the Perobic home. It was judged to be one of the most remarkable investigations of its kind because of the intense public interest, but also due to the huge number of child volunteers. Oh, hey, look at that. Oh, they didn't care about her that day, huh? Many described themselves not just as casual acquaintances or playmates, but as friends of Elsie. Yeah, I played with her, but she was no near my friend. I played with her. I was just an acquaintance. We played from afar. When we played tag, I never tagged her. <laughs> <laughs> when we played freeze tag, that bitch was froze. <laughs> right. And when it was, I had to look for her and hide and seek, I didn't look. <laughs> <laughs> I saw her. I didn't tell her, though. It's kept on walking. Fucking kids. These children offered to look into out-of-the-way places for Elsie or evidence leading to her whereabouts. They're like, we're, we'll get in the tiniest spots that you guys can't. April 29th, Inspector Healy sent a detective to Zion City, Illinois, in response to a long-distance phone tip from the Zion or Zion County uh, City Deputy Sheriff. Again, a child resembling Elsie was seen in a gypsy camp, and again, the child was found to be a gypsy. Right. 
April 30th, the superintendent of schools, Mrs. Ella Flagg, Ella Flagg Young, had requested that all school children in the Chicago area organize neighborhood searches during spring break. Like, what? Right. Giving us homework? <laughs> Meanwhile, Frank, in desperation, consulted a psychic who said that Elsie was in Argo, Wisconsin. So he turned to the gypsies. Uh, that he's <laughs> right. blaming for taking right. his daughter to help them. Maybe this one's a Jamaican one. Call me now. Uh, yeah, he, the psychic said that Elsie was in Argo, Wisconsin. Which uh, she possibly meant to say Argyle, Wisconsin, because there is no Argo, Wisconsin. Didn't they go to Argyle already, I thought? <laughs> Chicago politician Charles Vapika sent officers to the area she indi- indicated, but to a no avail. Of course. The search jumped from Illinois to Wisconsin, from Wisconsin to Minnesota, and then back again to Illinois with no luck. A few days after Elsie's disappearance, a few days after Elsie's disappearance, Frank began to receive anonymous, uh, insulting letters. What the hell? They were all written in English, which he could not read. So he asked neighbors to translate. The letters claimed that Elsie was hidden away by someone who hated the parobics, accusing them of mistreating her. Well, I mean, they didn't just let her roam on the streets at four years old. Frank was so infuriated by the accusation that he burned the letters. (gasps) Can't burn evidence. Nonetheless, Detectives Zahur and Zalaski Attempted to follow up on this lead. So horror in Zalaski, huh? Maybe the mom was like a... Something? A, a I think dink. the mom did something, dude. Maybe the mom was a dink, and the dad was like, what are you talking about? That girl, is, she's my princess, right? Come home. That's why as soon as he came home from work, he was like, where's... Or the mom's uh, like... She's like, I don't know, running around the neighborhood. You know that little bitch? give a shit about her yeah. and probably abuses her. I don't know where that little bitch is, but her dinner's getting cold. And uh, didn't really give a shit. Just right. let her run around. Clearly. All the other kids died. Who knows? Right. Who mm. knows if the mom did something with it? Oh, we don't even know yet. We right. don't even know yet. Uh, the, she had problems. the Czech community rallied to support the parobics. All Czech-speaking policemen were put into plain clothes and assigned to the investigation. Chicago American revealed that not only Czech speakers were involved in this international squad, but police officers uh, uh, who were Polish, German, Irish, and English were assigned because they each spoke several languages and would be better able to question every man, woman, and child in the camp. Fantastic. Look the women's that shit. right. That's the smartest thing I've ever seen. Right. Any Nobody of these does that. Wow. The women's auxiliary of the club Bohemia assisted in the search, creating an endless chain letter, which was mailed to all parts of the city with a request for recipients to mail copies to everybody they knew. So, nineteen eleven, around that area had been pretty populated. Guaranteed, there had to be close to a million in Chicago already. Nineteen ten was two point two million in Chicago. So, I'm assuming right about there, right? Two point four, perhaps two point four in nineteen fourteen. So, so. two point three, right? It was the world's sixth largest city at that point. Oh, so pretty populated. Yeah. Okay. Various Czech-American politicians became involved as well. The Bohemian Charitable Association conferred with Mayor Carter Harrison Jr. on the 22nd of April, then announced they would offer a reward of $500, nearly $13,000 today. And however much more could be raised, they'll give it to him as well. Good for them. Mayor Harrison uh, contributed $25. Hey, good for you, Mayor. $600 today. And he sent out a special police squad from City Hall. Oh, look at that. And he gets man hours. Right. He'll give you $25 and man hours. <laughs> the detachment also operated out of the Lawndale Avenue station in cooperation with the Hinman Street Police. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. 
Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Anton Cermak, then a Chicago alderman, said that if Little Miss Perobic were not found by the time of the next city council meeting, May 1st, he would call upon the city council to offer an even larger reward. At that time, state laws did not allow the offering of a reward for the apprehension of kidnappers as it did for murderers. Why? That's pretty messed up. The state couldn't offer a reward. Right. April 26th, Governor Deneen said he planned to ask the legislature to revise the statutes so that a reward could be offered by the state of Illinois in addition to the personal reward fund. That's good for them. They're right. all I mean, out for this shit. They're like, wait a minute, wait, wait. Really? Like, oh, yeah, man, there's a lot of kidnapping. <laughs> <laughs> right. Shit, we'd be broke. Uh, <laughs> right. Judge Adolph, uh-oh, Jay Sabath, held several interviews with Elsie's family and also contributed $25. Uh, by May 2nd, he had increased his contribution to 100 which oh, is about $2,500 in uh, 2015, this so uh, close to three grand now, and arranged meetings with Czech societies to find ways to increase the fund. Many sightings of girls in a red dress living in a gypsy camp were phoned in to police. Well, she'd still be wearing the same dress. Right, I don't think so. And followed up on. Maybe. By May 1st, police had all but abandoned the idea that she had been stolen by gypsies and were returning to their efforts to search in wells and dragon canals. Judge Sabath objected, saying that the police hunt was becoming listless because Elsie's parents were poor. He was being swamped with mail, most of it containing contributions to the reward fund from all over the country and increased his personal contribution to $100 as well. Dude, right now the reward's up to like, what, 40, 50 grand? Dude, it's amazing. Among the letters was one from Dr. G.T. Screeton of Carlisle, Arkansas, which read in pot. Dear Judge, Dear Judge, in relation to the strange disappearance of Elsie Perobic, I will say that a band of 40 gypsy men and, and four gypsy women with 18 children, ranging in age from three months to 18 years, were seen in a union station at Little Rock, Arkansas, last week. All these children looked as if they were not of gypsy parentage, quote, end quote. Okay. Meanwhile, Detectives Zahur and Zalaski sought a man residing near Madison and Roby Streets. The suspected author of the anonymous threatening letters Frank had received, Lieutenant Costello, supported by Inspector Healy, flatly declared, Elsie Perobic fell into the drainage canal from the Kedzie Avenue Bridge, or near it. She was not murdered. How'd you know? They believe the author of the letters have witnessed this. Oh. Okay. By May 7th, 25 gypsy bands had been searched and many false lead followed. Uh, police Captain Mahoney announced his belief that Elsie was dead and that police would have continued to search for her body. Jeez. 
Also, on May 7th, Judge Sabath ordered an investigation of Frank and Carolina themselves oh, shit. in search of anything in their past that might have caused someone to kidnap Elsie. Or how about them? Yeah. Dude, that's the Chicago drainage canal. Isn't that crazy? Uh, yeah, there's not even railings or nothing. Right. Two days later, on the 9th of May, 1911, electrical engineer George T. Scully and other employees of the Lockport Power Plant near Juliet, 35 miles outside of Chicago, saw a body flowing in the Chicago Sanitary and Ship Canal. Uh-oh. At first, they thought it was an animal from one of the nearby farms, but three hours later, realizing it was a human being, sent out a boat to bring it to a shore. Three hours later, it was just like rocking back and forth against the waves, pushing it on the rocks for three hours or something, dude. Wow. Jeez. Wow. A local undertaker, William Goodale, examined the body, said that it appeared to fit Miss Perobic's description. The description tallied to the shade of the hair and the texture of the stockings. And the stuff in the tent of the dress of little Elsie, quote, end quote. He thought the body had been in the water for several weeks, although only slightly decomposed. Another report indicated that her body was badly decomposed, but there were no marks of violence on her body. And Hmm. Goodale notified Chicago authorities who sent police Lieutenant Costello to the parobic home. Carolina cried, Mi dite! I guess that means my dear child in uh, Czech or whatever huh. they spoke. And begged to be told Elsie was alive. Frank was taken to the Goodell funeral home at midnight. He said the clothes look like Elsie's, but the face, I can't recognize it. Her mother alone can tell. Another newspaper reported to Frank immediately, that Frank immediately said, that's Elsie, and began to cry. So they don't know again. Well, he thought another girl was the kid. Right. Carolina arrived at the funeral home by trolley car the following morning and positively identified Elsie, saying, it's you, my darling. Thank God we found you, and you're not in the hands of the gypsies. Well, if she was in the hands of the gypsies, she'd be alive, maybe. Oh, my. What's happening here, man? For the next hour, she paced or sat nervously in an adjoining room with Frank holding her hands, weeping and praying. Goodale, who had kept track of the disappearance in the papers, made this statement to the police. The body appears to have been in the water for about a month, which would tally with the date of Elsie's disappearance. The child, when she left home, was without hat and her clothing tallies in every respect that found on the dead body. There was no ring or other ornament, and in that respect the descriptions correspond, excepting only as to the color of the eyes, which cannot be clearly observed as to color. The descriptions are identical. Right. Uh, her eyes probably right. were, like, foggy, and I would right. assume, right? Right. Arrangements were quickly made for an inquest. The jury consisted of F.W. Why is there a jury? The jury consisted of F.W. Worst, Christian Rodcherio, John A. Walter, William Wooddale, Edwin Murray, and Patrick O'Brien. Coroner William Wonderlick of Will County officiated. Okay. As the post-mortem examination began, Frank was the first witness. Disregarding questions put to him by the coroner, Frank plunged into charges his daughter had been murdered. Through a translator, he asserted, I am sure the gypsies stole my girl, and then when they knew we were after them, they killed her and threw her into the canal. Oh. At this time, Carolina ran from the funeral parlor screaming, My Elsie is dead. She was murdered. Murdered. Her husband and Detective Zlasky tried to calm her down. But in her extreme distress, she began running up and down the street. And then she drew a crowd of curious onlookers after this. She insisted she had known for three weeks that the gypsies had killed her daughter Elsie. Frank consoled her and her and assisted her boarding a trolley car for home. He's like, just go home. <laughs> Get the hell out of here. <laughs> Meanwhile, the coroner said, this case has attracted such attention that a minute examination will be made. We'll be content with no perfunctionary inquest such as this. The jury will refuse to state its convictions, for it has none right. until after the autopsy has been held. 
We want the stomach of the little girl examined and the lungs as well. The father charges murder. It is certainly possible that he is right. All right. They never know. Two physicians, E.A. Kingston and W.R. Paddock, confirmed that there was no water in her lungs, so she had not drowned. Oh. Kingston said she had been attacked, often a euphemism for rape back in those days, and murdered before her body was thrown into the water. What the hell? Paddock said there was every evidence she had been wounded before being killed. Oh, my. Oh, my. This is like one turn after another, dude. Oh, geez. Bad enough that she fell off the side of that thing with no railings she didn't fall right clearly i would say it would have been bad enough right right. son of a bitch jeez man so now you got to kind of look at the guys or the dad now and the mom oh i knew she'd been murdered who's why aren't they looking into them if it was nowadays you're damn sure they'd be the first suspects i'm pretty sure it was like a tight-knit community everybody knew everybody i mean but then nobody questioned i mean what happened to the other kids right what happened to the uh the organ guy. Yeah. They ever question him? They never found this guy? Yeah. How do you not question the organ guy? You'd be like, dude, how you know many kids I see every day? Well, if he was still around doing his organ thing, I would assume he's not guilty. What if he's not? Right. I'm saying that would be kind of weird. You think it would have been mentioned? He's like, no, dude. Funny thing is, on that very day, I decided to hang it up. <laughs> right. Like, I was done. That was my last day. Coincidence, man. Coincidence. Lieutenant Costello later told the press that she had been mistreated, seeming to indicate this meant her death was not the work of gypsies. Why, gypsies wouldn't have mistreated her? I guess not. Or maybe they didn't. Why? Well, right. Gypsies don't kill. Right. They want to, like, slave these kids out. Right. And know, Inspector I mean, Healy also added, he says, uh, there seems to be no doubt that she was abused in the most fiendish way. And the fact established the case is much simplified for the police. Oh, how is it? You still don't know. How is it much simplified? You would have you would have gladly accepted her falling into the water. You want to leave it at that, right? Mm, damn, case closed. And the only reason why uh, they even did that in death of an autopsy is because so the much, guys yeah. there's so much publicity on. He's it. like, you know, you, normally I just call it a day, right. but mm, let's dig in this a little deeper. And the police chief's like, no. <laughs> also, that this next thing you could they couldn't see that when they pulled her from the water, <gasps> right? Uh, but they also found deep cuts on the left side of her face. Didn't the one guy said that she appeared to be right unharmed? Unharmed. What the hell is these guys doing? With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick, so I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Mm. Although these men reported blue marks on the throat as though the victim had been choked. Another examination by doctors E.R. LeCount and Warren H. Hunter of the coroner's office revealed that Elsie had been suffocated, not strangled. And there were no distinct marks of violence on the body at all. So which is it? She has cut on her face. Has she been stroked? Wait a minute. Choked? Here. Strangled? Uh, smothered? Right. What in the world? Despite this newspaper headlines reporting the coroner's findings continued to report Elsie was strangled. The official cause of death was marked unknown. Coroner Peter Hoffman concurred with Mrs. Perobic as to the probable circumstances of Elsie's death. It is our belief that the abductor of the child suffocated her to death, possibly by putting a hand over her mouth. The coroner's report re- recommended that officials continue to investigate. Inspector Healy immediately detailed detectives to find out exactly what had happened. 
He wow. told the Chicago Inter-Ocean, I have 40 detectives at work today on the theory that the criminals lived in the neighborhood of the Parobic home. We're investigating every incident of the lives of the Parobics since they came to Chicago in order to trace a possible enemy. It will surprise me if the criminals are not arrested within a week. Hmm. Huh. Really? To the Chicago Tribune, he also stated, We have one or two theories, but nothing specific enough to even talk about. So why'd you even say it? All right. I intend to place more men on this case tomorrow. Lieutenant Costello returned to investigating the anonymous letters. Meanwhile, the New York Times reported Hoffman's and Perobic's theory as fact. They're like, nah, you see that kid in, uh, in, uh, Chicago? In Illinois, they got strangled. Right. Strangled and strangled and abused. Right. And they're like, them damn Midwesterns. Right. We always knew Chicago was the toilet right. of America. On the evening, May 9th, Carolina was calmer and gave an interview upon returning home. Surrounded by friends and neighbors, she told reporters. Before the doctors found that Elsie's lungs were free from water and discovered reasons for believing she had been strangled, I knew she had been murdered. A picture of the crime has been in my mind since the second week of her disappearance. And I'm convinced that when the truth is known, as it surely will be, it will be shown that she was choked to death a week from April 8th when she was kidnapped on her way to visit her auntie. Carolina called upon authorities to find and punish the killers. You go find those. Oddly specific there, Carolina. She'd be like, oh my. Or Carolina, whatever the hell your name is. Following the inquest, Elsie's body was brought home. Her uncle Frank, well, she got a daddy Frank and her uncle Frank, huh? Her uncle Frank took charge of the funeral arrangements. Carolina told Judge Tabat that the search had exhausted the family savings and they had no money to bury her. Thousands of dollars were raised. Yeah, to find the person. Whoever did it to her. Right. Where'd all that money go? Right. Judge Sabath gave her a check for $25, promising to raise more funds. He already raised it. Friends and family members continued to collect money for the Parobic Fund. Mrs. Sophie Johannes raised over $50 by giving a benefit party and soliciting donations from Bohemians on the West Coast. That's That's all you can muster, huh? Right. Elsie's funeral was held at 10 a.m., May 12th, 1911, on the lawn of the Parobic's home and attended by between two to 3,000 people. Wow. Chicago Inter-Ocean newspaper gave the number of attendees as 5,000 Well, people. inflating. They uh, added those two together. Right. Like, yeah. How about that? <laughs> two or 3,000 plus. That sounds better. Hours before the ceremony, Albany Avenue in the Parobic backyard, along with the balconies and porches of nearby houses, were filled with mourners. There was no hall in the neighborhood large enough to hold them all. Damn, through a makeshift block party, huh? Right. Frank had been offered a use of a hall, but indicated the huge gathering and said, they have to come and say goodbye to my Elsie. Don't let them be disappointed. Reserved from Hinman Street Station were called in to keep order and prevent the crowd from breaking down the fence. The hell, it's a funeral. Why are they breaking down fences? Elsie's white coffin rested on two brass stands surrounded by lilies of the valley, Roses on carnations sent by Mayor Harrison, Judge Sabath, and other city officials. Lilies of the Valley, uh, Valley. <clears throat> ironic, right? Uh, because they have little red berries on them that mm-hmm. literally poison kids right. all the time. All the time. Um, so, whatever, I guess. <laughs> I don't know why it's ironic, but I'm just pointing it out. Eight little girls dressed in all white, including Josie Trampota and her sister Mary, brought out huge sprays of lilies and roses and encircled the beer. Someone brought two chairs out of the parobic home, sat them near the casket, and laid a board across them to hold the hundreds of floral offerings. Carolina was seated at the head of the coffin while Frank and the other children stood nearby. 
Well, the Porobics were not Catholic, but free thinkers. There were no prayers. Service was read by Rudolf Yamir Senka, editor of the Bohemian Chicago Daily Snortsnots. He spoke of the need to cooperate with police to find Elsie's killers. As the undertaker went to lift the coffin into the hearse, Carolina begged him to open it one last time so she could see Elsie's face. But her relatives persuaded her not to do this. Just let her go. Yeah, I don't think you want to see her face. Anyway. Right. Most of the attendees followed Elsie's casket to Bohemian National Cemetery, where Senka gave another address. Her daddy, Frank, was quoted by saying, My little girl is at rest. Nothing matters to her now. But I shall never rest until I see her murderers paying the penalties for taking her life. Police Chief John McWheeney vowed to devote the entire Chicago police force to finding the killer. Alderman Cermak asked Governor Deneen to increase the reward by $200, as is possible under the statutes. Well, yeah, now it's murder officially, right? Um, so you can get some rewards. Cermak said, I will also ask the governor to issue a proclamation calling upon all the people of the state to interest themselves in this case in order that her murderer be apprehended. Coroner Peter Hoffman started a public reward fund, contributing $25 himself. Considering where Elsie was found, detectives suspected the actual killer might be Joseph Canesti. According to the Rockford Republic, Canesti was uh, definitely identified as the killer by detectives under the command of Police Captain Wood. Okay. Who? Why don't these guys have pages? Joseph Canesti? That I mean, a killer of others, right? Okay, so Joseph was described as a bearded bohemian and a hermit peddler. He was said to have frequently enticed little girls to his hut by the drainage canal. What was up with this drainage canal? Even the cops were like, let's search the drainage canals. This guy, they knew sure this guy not, was there. Sure, it's not the first time bodies have been thrown in the drainage canal. This is on West 33rd Street and South Kedzie Avenue, about a mile and a half from Elsie's home. Jeez. And he had been frequently seen near the Perobic's home. Searching the shack, detectives found a green hair ribbon, which they intended to take to Carolina for identification, along with indications of a small hole dug in the ground. And an old hemp sack, which might have contained the body. The owner of the shack, Mrs. David Shaughnessy, advised police that she had a complaint to Canesti about his bringing children around the house. I told him stop bringing those damn children around the house. And she was like, so I evicted him on the 9th of May. Canesti threw himself in front of a train on the 10th of May. Five days later, he was cleared of any wrongdoing. Oh, damn. Really? Okay, well, it was just weird. So what happened five days later? They didn't find anything? Any evidence? I guess not. So he just killed himself. He's like, oh, shit. They know. What do they know? Yeah, but they found her. At the. I know, but what date? May 9th. May 9th. So now it's all out there. Right. And the next he day. He gets evicted May himself. 9th, and then he throws himself in front of a train on May 10th. Oh, shit. Hmm. Hmm. Did he throw himself in front then, of the train? And then five days later, he was cleared of any wrongdoing? Did he throw himself in front of the train? No, well, we don't know. <laughs> Was it black hands involved? Could have been, right. May 13th, the body of a well-dressed man was found in the canal at Willow Springs, some 20 miles uh, from Lockport and 14 miles from Albany Avenue. He had no identification, only a Catholic holy card with a prayer in Polish with the words Sig Hoff written on it. Detectives believe this man also may have had some connection with Elsie's death. An anonymous letter was said to have been received by the detectives. The writer described having seen a little girl walking along the canal with a young man in the day. On the day, Elsie was dis- uh, disappeared. The same day, another loner living in a shack by the canal was identified as possible person of interest. Mr. Kinsella, described as a religious enthusiast, was supposed to be demented. Okay. 
When he saw detectives Gormley, Slad, and Fronick approaching his home, he took off running, making a move as if to draw a revolver. Oh, man. Calling out that they only wanted to question him, the officers fired their weapons in the air. After a three-mile chase through gullies and underbrush, Kinsella escaped into the forest. What the hell did this guy do? I think he was just, you know... Probably, probably well, they all said that. He's inbred. They just said that he... Uh, weird motherfucker. Supposed to be demented, so right. he's crazy already. He's like, oh, damn, they're, com- they're finally they're coming after Finally, me. I knew it. I told you guys. I told you, you sons of bitches. Wow. Me f- all right. I don't even know what's going on with this case no more. I don't know anymore. That's just something's weird. 15th of May. Now we're six days after. Five days after. Right. The dude killed himself. Three days after the funeral. Oh, man. Frank told police he had spoken to a man who he did not know, and he told him he had seen Elsie late in the afternoon of the 18th, uh, nope, of April 8th. So she disappeared on the 1st or 2nd, right? Right. Uh, on the 15th of May, Frank told police he had spoken to a man who he did not know, and the man told him that he had seen Elsie late the afternoon of the 8th of April on Kedzie Avenue, south of 28th Street. That's pretty specific. Right. Long after she was supposed to have been taken by the gypsies. Long after. A week, yeah. Lieutenant Costello assigned detectives to find the man. The previous report citing of Elsie had her walking toward the canal on South Torrey Street, a half block south of her auntie's house, which makes more sense. How, did they go that far all the time? I mean, were they allowed to just go blocks and blocks? Well, apparently, this little four-year-old was just allowed to do whatever the hell she wanted. If the, un- if the unknown man told the truth, Elsie was only three blocks away from a bridge. Despite the coroner's findings, Lieutenant Costello had become convinced that Elsie's death was an accident. And she had simply fallen into the canal. He's like, nah. Although Inspector Healy had had the canals drain his ditches dragged repeatedly during the search. Right. right. Yeah, they would have found it. Right. <sighs> Coroner Hoffman continued to assist Elsie was murdered. Apparently some confusion had occurred during the initial examinations. The first physician, which was probably Dr. Kingston, he examined Elsie on the night of May 9th, told Lieutenant Kels, uh, Costello that she had drowned with no marks of abuse, and Costello had repeated this when he spoke to the family. Right. However, the following day, the same physician's autopsy findings concluded Elsie had not drowned, and then she appeared to have been suffocated. So what do you mean? Maybe when he just glanced at her. Glanced at her. Oh, he was like, like, oh, this wrong. is, you know, we just got some decomposition here, and then he looked, he looked closer, and he's like, all right, that scratches something. Oh, my. What the hell? Detectives surrounded a house near Madison and Roby Streets, and they also threw a dragnet over the southwestern side of town for a former boarder in the Perobic home. Oh, so the Perobics are taking in random guys, huh? They continued to search for an ominous writer of the nasty letters received by Frank. Apparently, neither the boarder, the writer, or the unknown man who had spoken to Frank were ever found. Wow. Two years later, on the anniversary of Elsie's funeral, Frank died. Wow. He was 45 years old. He probably drank himself to death, I bet, dude. Carolina lived until December 9, 1927. Both are buried with Elsie in Bohemian National Cemetery. So nothing... Although Elsie's mysterious disappearance and death were once the subject of intense police investigation and journalistic focus, her story faded into obscurity until the death of Henry Darger in 1973. Michael Bonesteel, an art historian examining Darger's work, Upon repeated reference to Darger's story of the Vivian Girls novel to Annie Ehrenberg, leader of a child slave rebellion, and to an inspirational picture of her that had been lost. Miss Ehrenberg had met a shocking yet heroic death at the hands of her captors. The murder is described in detail and is nothing like Elsie's death. Right. Okay. So what's that what do got to do with anything? Well, according to his diary, Darger really had lost a picture of a little girl and was desperate to get it back or to replace it. 
He did not give the name, but said it had appeared in the Chicago Daily Noise on May or June or July of 1911. Bone Steel's search in the newspaper archives revealed Elsie Perobic and her story. A portrait of Annie Aronberg by Darger shows a somewhat older blonde-haired girl. Her hair ribbon and the distinctive collar of her dress are similar to Elsie's in the photograph. In the novel, Darger describes children who are kidnapped and mistreated by adults, while the heroic little villain Vivian's Annie Arnbag and others form rescue squads to save them. <laughs> okay, so they just make up like a little fairy tale about missing children? Posthumously discovered fantasy novels. They'd right. never published this. Right. They're... So they're trying to say that he... I don't get it. Uh, are they trying to say that just he was inspired by her? Right. Because he saw her picture and then right. made up a story of the Vivian girls rescuing uh, right. um, kidnapped children right. and stuff, right. Right. child slaves and right. stuff. Right. Okay, well, good for him, I guess, right? Um, still, um, the answer's nothing. Nothing has been answered. Did she die? This Lieutenant Costello dude thinks she didn't die and just fell off the canal. The other guys think she did die and was uh, abused. And what in the world is happening here? I mean, so nobody knows to this day nope. what the hell really happened to this girl. Nope. Wow. Um, nothing. Holy shit. How do you not know? What is up with this stuff? Did things happen? That whole story was just. All over the place. This happened, then this happened. No, this happened. And you got eight different doctors saying different things that all examine her body. How are these people even uh, corners and shit? If one's saying, well, no, she was not harmed. She was, and, uh, she drowned. Well, no, she had no water in her lungs and she had right. uh, slash marks on her face. Not one kid in the neighborhood seen anything. And uh, near the drainage canal, you would think. Nobody during the day would have seen a little-ass kid walking along it. Four years old. And why aren't these parents charged? What kind of person lets a four-year-old just wander around anyways? Right. And, and oh, I figured she might have just went, went to not her to friends mention, to stay the night. Not to mention they had to have the knowledge that, hey, uh, three other children have been uh, killed in this house, have died. In right, even that. Right. How the other three children die? Right. Oh, no. I don't know. Wow. That was and the mom didn't seem worried of one bit, but once dad came home from work, not only he that, was, he was outraged. She's, I know she was murdered mm-hmm. one one week after she was. Wow! And wow. no evidence. Usually, there's evidence. No evidence of anything. Nothing. Mm-hmm. Nothing. Mm-hmm. Wow. I don't know. What do you guys think? Maindangpodcast at gmail.com. Tell us uh, what you made of this story and what you uh, think actually happened. I think she, this story was fall off the canal. Fuckery. She get murdered. Is her mom involved? Or what the hell's going on here? Because I don't know. And where's this uh, the, the uh, organ grinder? Never been mentioned right. again. Organ grinder not mentioned. The guy just kills himself one day after uh, the body was found, throws himself in front of a train, and now, but then cleared and, of wrongdoing, apparently. And then that living drifter guy that was living with them couldn't be found. That guy, right. And then the other guy that sent or that came up to Frank and told him, right. just random guy comes up to you like, hey, I think I saw your daughter, right. and, and the cops that, never question him. Then that guy that they found dead on the train tracks or whatever it was. That was the guy that threw himself in front of the train. Yeah. No, there was other other guy that they found. No, they found him in the canal, yeah. floating. Yeah. Well dressed, well dressed, mm. and they say he could possibly have a connection. What right. the fuck is this connection? Right. Wow. All right. Some more of this? Well, I don't think so. Because going on, what is known is known. I guess was it the black hand? No, because they weren't taking children. Maybe. Did they? What? What? Uh, they. 
So, well, the dad and they said investigated they got letters the, saying that the people, whoever it was, didn't like their family. Didn't like their family because they mistreated, mistreated her. That's what her. So maybe the mom was doing things, and like I said, he didn't know. As soon as he came home from work, he was like, what? Went to the police. Maybe he did it. She didn't seem... Man. Maybe he did it. Sent the letters because he knew the mom was mistreating her right. and tried to make her feel bad, but ended up accidentally killing her or something. He knew it was like, not again. He came home and he's like, babe, not again. Right. This is the fourth time. I'm sorry. Right. You said you'd never leave me. <laughs> oh, my. I want you crazy, bitch. But uh, we have to think of something now. Wow, dude. My poor ex. <sighs> All right. Well, I guess this is going to do it for us as we sit here scratching our heads and wandering. I think the mom did it. Wondering? I think the mom did it. I think something happened with something. The family knows something more than they're laying on. That's for sure. Yeah. Or police or something. Something happening here. Something. Uh, like I said, let us know what you guys think. Bang dang podcast at gmail.com. Let us know. And uh, that'll do it for us. Patreon.com forward slash bang dang for all of our shows ad free plus early. At least two days early. Um, $2 a month for all that. Video probably, hopefully coming soon. We'll get that together. And go check out Battles of American Civil War and this week in sports history on the Bang Dang Network. And we'll be back next week for hopefully a more conclusive uh type of story i don't know it's weird this is why true crime is so freaking right. popular because freaking who the nuts. hell knows what's happening this um, is ridiculous i just wasted not wasted but uh yeah a good chunk of my time to come to no conclusion, no it's, conclusion. Like, it's like today's movies right. all the new new movies that come out they just end out of nowhere you're like what that dude is in the middle of a sentence how do you think uh, uh the sopranos fans felt seriously every movie today there's no ending Ever ends right. You, you? Uh, that's how lazy writers are. You decide in your mind what happened to them. Fuck you. Right, and they'll end at the stupidest scenes. Like they'll just end out of nowhere. He's like, right. Brushing his teeth, and that's the end of the movie. Right. What the fuck? Get up in the morning. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. All righty then. All right. We'll see you next week. We're the month of Michiganders with Bang Dang.